Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. Dickens had a tale of two cities. In the book of Genesis, Moses had a tale of two brothers, Cain and Abel. But he goes on to give us a tale of two twins, Isaac and Esau. Now, those are familiar stories. We've all heard them. If you know anything at all about the book of Genesis, you know those stories. But he has another tale, this time a tale of two women, Leah and Rachel. And that is a very interesting story. For one thing, there's more detail given about that one than there is concerning Cain and Abel. What is it we should know about this tale of two women? Well, there's a lot we can learn from this. As a matter of fact, that passage gives us insight into the Lord. It gives us some insight into the very history of Israel. And it also tells us some things about us. So when we look at those two women, we perhaps can see some things about us. So with that in mind, would you join me in Genesis chapter 29, where I'm going to begin reading with verse 30. Genesis 29, verse 30. Then Jacob also went in to Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. In order to really appreciate what's going on in these verses, you need to recall what happened in the first part of Genesis chapter 29. Jacob fell in love with Rachel and made a deal with her father that if he worked for seven years, he could marry her. So he worked for seven years. At the end of that time, the father pulled a switch and the night he was to go into the tent and consummate the marriage with Rachel, he found the next morning that he had consummated it with Leah. Now, as you can imagine, he was not happy about that, but there was a custom that the oldest daughter should get married first. At any rate, Jacob ends up married to Leah, but he loved Rachel. So he struck another deal with the father that if he worked another seven years, he could get the second daughter. They agreed to that, and apparently he got Rachel and then worked the seven years in that case. So what happens in these verses that I just read is that we are told 
that Jacob now went in to Leah, I'm sorry, Rachel, consummated that union. But it says in verse 30, he loved Rachel more than Leah. Stop. Notice very carefully. This is important. He loved Rachel more than Leah. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he did not love Leah at all? No. It means that he loved Rachel more than Leah. So he loved them both, but he just loved Rachel more than Leah. Which, by the way, he's acting like his parents, who had two sons, and uh, his mother loved him more than his brother. At any rate, um, he loved Rachel more than Leah. So he married her and then served still another seven years to uh, complete the agreement he made with Laban. Now, the text says that when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, what? I thought we just decided that he loved both of them. But the text says, he, Rachel, Leah thought she was unloved. I'm reading from the new King James translation. The original King James says he hated her. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew text says he hated her. So we need to learn a great lesson here. And that is obvious, putting these two verses together, that hate, doesn't mean hate in the sense that we think of it. In this passage, at least, it means loved less. As a matter of fact, that's helpful to understand. A passage in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus said, except a man hate his mother and father, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean that you have to hate them in the sense that we say that today. But based on this passage, and the scripture, it would mean that you must love the Lord so much that you love him more than all other relationships, including mother and father. And in some cases, that might even come across to them as if you hated them. But be that as it may, the point of verse 31 is that the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, loved less, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. She was childless. Verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Notice the text carefully. It says, she conceived and bore a son and said, the Lord looked on my affliction. So she named him Reuben. The Hebrew word translated Reuben means, behold, a son. So she named her son according to her experience with the Lord. You might also note in verse 32, it says, the Lord, not God, the Lord. That's the covenant name for God in the Old Testament. 
so that this indicates a personal relationship with him. So here is a lady who feels unloved by her husband and apparently she is crying out to the Lord and the Lord looked and she conceived and she bore a son named Reuben. Now, the last line of verse 32 is very instructive. Now she says, maybe my husband will love me. She's still feeling unloved, or at least not loved as much as her sister. So the text says in verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved or loved less or hated, he has therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. The Hebrew word translated Simeon means heard. So notice she says, because the Lord heard. And so she named her son heard. The Lord heard that I was unloved, and he opened my womb and gave me another son. Notice again, she's giving credit to the Lord. Verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she called him Levi. Now, as you can guess at this point, the Hebrew word translated Levi means attached to. And so she's thinking at this point, now that I've had three sons, well, surely I will be attached to, attracted to my husband. So she named her son accordingly. Then verse 35 says, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she stopped bearing. All right. She had a fourth son. And the word Judah means praise. And she named him because she praised the Lord that she had four sons. Now, this I'm calling round one. As we shall see, as we get into the passage, there is a conflict between these two sisters, both of whom are married to Jacob. In round one, Leah feels unloved, yet she takes her case to the Lord and the Lord gives her four sons, which would make a man in that day very happy. Notice carefully the meaning of the names of those sons. Behold the son, heard, joined to, and praise. Those names reflect her acknowledgement of the blessing of the Lord. So on the one hand, God has blessed her because she is unloved. And on the other hand, she is still longing for the love of her husband. Someone has said, Leah seems to have been a godly woman who spent much time in prayer concerning her marriage and her children. 
She acknowledged that her sons were given by the Lord in response to her prayers and her difficult position in the home. So in round one, Leah is unloved and the Lord, because of her trust in him, blesses her with four sons. Now before we go to round two, I just want to say, you need to remember, Leah, round one, has four sons. Round two begins in chapter 30, verse one, where we are told, and when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Now this is the beginning of the record of the conflict between these two. She didn't have children, so she was jealous of her sister who had had four sons of all things. So she envied her sister. But notice what the text says. She says to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. She's blaming him. How can he do that? I mean, he's done all he can as a husband. It's not up to him after that. And yet she's blaming him. This is the oldest trick in the human book. Remember Adam and Eve? The Lord comes to Adam and says, where art thou? And he's disobeyed God and he shifts the blame and he says, well, it's not me, it's the woman you gave me. Blame shifting is the oldest trick of the human race. And here, Rachel is using it on Jacob. His response is in verse two. Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. By the way, that's an interesting idea. Uh, back in chapter 29, verse 30, it says he loved Rachel more than Leah. He was madly in love with this woman. It was love at first sight, so to speak. And yet he got anger, angry with her. Isn't that interesting? You can love somebody and be angry with them. As a matter of fact, the Lord repeatedly gets angry at his children, which is obvious if you just read, especially the Old Testament, so that he was angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who could have withheld from you the fruit of the womb? What are you, what are you talking about? It's not my fault. I don't have the power to do this. So he comes back at her with anger and a retort. So she said, verse three, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I may have children by her. So Rachel could not get pregnant. So she said, here, here is my maid, uh, get her pregnant and she'll put that child on my knees, which simply means she's gonna put the child on my lap, it's a figure of speech. And the idea being that that child will be my child. So, she gave Bilhah, her maid, as wife, verse 4, and Jacob went in to her. 
So at this point, uh, Jacob gets another wife. He now has three wives. And verse 5 says, Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case. By the way, whoa. Notice in those first opening verses of this whole episode, which goes back to chapter 29, that Leah kept saying, the Lord, chapter 29, verse 31. The Lord, chapter 29, verse 32. The Lord, chapter 29, verse 33. And on it goes. She constantly talked about the Lord out of her personal relationship with him. When Rachel finally gets pregnant, she says, God. God is the word in the Old Testament used of the creator. So she's just saying, God has judged my case. And he's heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And uh, the word Dan means judged. So God has decided, that's the idea here, uh, to help her. And so she called her son Dan to commemorate that. So there's more. Pick it up at verse 7. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister and indeed have prevailed. So she will call his name Naphtali. And Naphtali means wrestling. She said, I'm wrestling with my sister. Now you need to note back in verse 1, it says Rachel was envious of her sister. And now it says in verse 8 that she was wrestling with her sister. And this is the point of this chapter. It's one of the main points. There are others. And that is that these two sisters are having tension and conflict. They are wrestling with each other. So, round two. Rachel says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have children. If I can't have children, I'm going to let him use marry my maid, and that'll be a source of me having children. By the way, Sarah did something similar. Remember that? Uh, she gave her maid, Hagar, to Abraham, and he bore a son, Ishmael. So this is nothing new, but what we need to note is round one, Leah has four children. Round two, Rachel has two children by her maid. Now the plot thickens. We come to round three. And verse nine says, And Leah saw that she had stopped bearing. So now she's not having more children, and Rachel is having them by her maid. So Leah says, I'm not going to be outdone by that woman. And so verse 9 says, she took Zelhah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. Now he has four wives. And uh, Leah's maid, verse 10 says, bore a son. And Leah called, said, a troop comes. 
And so she called his name Gad because the word Gad means croup. And the idea here may be that um, she is fortunate to be able to have children by her maid. So we're told in verse 12, and the maid bore a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. So the word Asher means happy. And she's thinking there, I'm happy and they're gonna call me happy. And she names her son happy. So round three, is Leah gives her maid to Jacob and has two sons. Now let me pause here for a second and let's uh, keep up with the math. Round one, Leah has four sons. Round two, Rachel by her maid has two sons. Round three, Leah has two more sons by her maid. Now again, let me pause and make an observation. This is an interesting story in that both of these women are using their maids to have children. The modern parallel to that might be something like using a surrogate to have children. One author looking at this said, the actions of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah in this chapter and those of Abraham and Sarah in chapter 16 raise questions about surrogate parenting. Today, husbands and wives who cannot have children naturally sometimes choose to secure the services of a third person who can provide a need, that needed function and thus enable them to have children. For example, if the wife cannot carry a baby in her womb for a full-term pregnancy, some doctors recommend that the couple use the services of another woman. If acceptable, they implant the couple's fertilized egg in her womb that she agrees to, quote, rent, for the nine-month generation uh, gestation period. Another example is the securing of sperm from a donor if the husband is sterile. From, there are many ways in which the childless couple can now become parents with this kind of help from a third and sometimes even a fourth party. These situations are something similar to what we find in Genesis 16 and 30. The common tie is that in all these cases, someone other than the husband and the wife is essential to the conception of children." End of quote. I thought that was an interesting observation because I get asked, not all the time, but every once in a while, about the whole idea of using a surrogate in order to obtain children. And if you ever encounter that question, I might just suggest you point to Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 30. Apparently, the Lord approved that in these cases. Now, I should very quickly say this is not exactly uh, what we call surrogate parenting. This is a little different, but it's the same idea. As a matter of fact, the biblical example as the husband impregnating 
the surrogate, so to speak, and then today it is done medically. All right, three rounds. Round one, Rachel has four sons. Round two, she, uh, I, should, I said Rachel, I should say Leah had four sons. Round two, Rachel has two sons by a maid. Round three, Leah comes back and has two sons by her maid. The story is not over. Let's pick up the fourth and final round. It begins in verse 14. Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel says to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. What in the world is going on? This raises all kinds of questions like, What is a mandrake and why does she want them? The answer to the first question is the answer to the second. A mandrake is a plant that comes from the tomato, potato family. It has a strong, pleasant fragrance. In that day, it was thought that it could help a woman conceive. As a matter of fact, it's called the devil's apple today and is used among the Arabs as an aphrodisiac. The idea then, apparently, is that Rachel says, if I could just have that plant, then I could conceive, because up until now, she's only had children by her maid. That's why she wants the mandrakes. And so she bargains with her sister. It's your night, uh, my night, I should say, uh, with Jacob. Tell you what, I'll let you have him tonight if you'll give me some of those mandrakes. So, verse 16, Jacob came out of the field in the evening. Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he laid with her that night. And God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. <laughs> so, Round four, Leah prays again, and God gives her a sixth son. Verse 18, and Leah says, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. The word Issachar uh, means uh, recompense or wages. Uh, she hired Jacob, her husband, for a night, and so she names her son accordingly. Man, I'm telling you, reading the Bible, who needs soap operas? Goodness gracious, this gets interesting. Verse 19, 
Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun, which means exalted. She again is naming her son according to the experience she's having. And afterwards she bore a daughter, called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. In round four, this conflict and contest comes to a climax, so to speak. And now Rachel is driven to prayer, and seeing her son as having more sons than her, she prays to the Lord, and the Lord listened to her and opened her womb. Verse 23, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And so she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my place and my country. All right, at the end of round four, Leah has sons. Uh, she called one uh, Zebulun, which means exalted. She called the other Joseph, uh, which means Jehovah has planted. By the way, uh, this indicates that the mandrakes had nothing to do with it. The text makes very clear Verse 22, the Lord remembered Rachel. It wasn't the mandrakes, it was the Lord. So, round one, Leah has four children. Round two, Rachel has two children by her maid. Round three, Leah has two children by her maid. Round four, Leah has three and Rachel has another. So all total, there are 12 children to these four wives. But before I wrap this up and make some observations, uh, let me point out something. He had four wives. That's bigamy. This passage reveals the problem with bigamy, which is later forbidden, by the way, in the Mosaic Law in Leviticus chapter 18. Somebody has said, one object of the narrative, without a doubt, is thus to portray the evils of bigamy in a dramatic fashion. Another commentator said, The house of the bigamist is a house divided against itself, and the fruitful source of such mischief and effectual disruption of all true discipline. He points out, by the way, uh, that these two wives were sisters, and all the more because of that rivalry and jealousy prevailed in the household. At any rate, uh, Jacob's wives lived in envy and fiction. Bigamy, having more than one wife, just does not work because, among other things, of the relationship between the wives. In 1910, Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist, met a lady nicknamed Tony as a patient. She became a lifelong intimate and colleague. 
when Irma, Jung's wife, insisted that he give up this extramarital affair with Tony, he insisted that Tony was far too important for him to do without her. Emma uh, gave in as much out of fear as for the sanity of as, uh, a determination to preserve her marriage, according to Jung's biographer. The wife treated this mistress, Tony, as a second wife and insisted upon a discreet triangular relationship that he did that lasted for his entire life. The three of them often appeared in public, but in private, tension was between the two women. The biographer of Jung said, and I quote, it intensified to such a degree that both found it difficult to keep it under control in public. They became increasingly openly sarcastic to each other, end of quote. A perfect illustration of what happened in Genesis chapter 30. All right, one more time. Let me sum it up. It's real simple. Jacob had four wives, two of whom were jealous of each other, and from all four he bore 12 children. Now that's the sum of what goes on in this chapter. Let me make a couple of observations. First, this chapter contains a contrast and a conflict between two women. Leah was a woman of faith who longed for the affection of her husband. Rachel had faith, but it was not as strong as Leah's. And she had the affection of her husband, but, quote, anxiously desired the blessing of God in childhood, as one author has said. In other words, the anxiety, envy, and jealousy of these two women led to conflict. You know, we could stop and ponder that for a while. Believers should put away envy and strife, which leads to conflict, and in its place, trust the Lord for his blessing, which he dispenses in his sovereignty, wisdom, justice, and compassion. Whatever your lot in life, whether you are hated, ignored, oppressed, or challenged, troubled, or anxious, your attitude should not be one of jealousy, nor should your efforts result in bitter rivalry. Rather, what you should do is cultivate a wholehearted trust in the Lord, waiting patiently for His blessing on you. So one of the major things in this passage is the conflict between these two women. But I suggested this might teach us something about Israel and about the Lord. There's more here than just the conflict between two wives. This passage records God's faithfulness in providing Jacob with descendants as he promised him back in Bethel. It centers on the fulfillment of that, process, of that promise 
to be with Jacob and to bless him. In other words, in spite of the envy, jealous, and suspicion of the two wives, the Lord opened the womb of these women. Their sons became the tribal heads of Israel. In other words, Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I made a point as we were going through the passage that there were 12 children. As you dig into the Old Testament from here, you discover that the 12 here are not exactly the 12 tribes. So, this passage is telling us something about the Lord. He was faithful to fulfill his promise and give Jacob multiple sons from whom would come multiple tribes and the great nation of Israel. It also tells us something about the history of Israel, that they were divided into 12 tribes based on these 12 sons, but not exactly these 12, because, as we will learn later in the book of Genesis, Reuben sinned, and as a result, God took two of the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and made them tribes in place of Reuben. So, the 12 tribes of Israel come out of Jacob, but not exactly the 12 that are mentioned in chapter 30 and 29, because uh, one got disinherited, and then another son provided two of the tribes instead of one. But then I said, this passage might tell us something about us. There is something here that perhaps in light of all the other conflict going on gets slighted over, but it's very important. God looked upon Leah because she was unloved. And he blessed her just because she was unloved. And God later looked upon Rachel because she was childless. And as these women who were feeling unloved and who were childless sought the Lord. They prayed. They earnestly said, Lord, we need your blessing. God blessed them because of their need and their prayer and their trust in him. Someone has said it like this, quote, God chose the despised mother Leah and exalted her to be the first mother the kingly tribe of Judah and the priestly tribe of Libra were traced back to her in spite of Jacob's love for Rachel and his later favoritism towards Rachel's son, Joseph. God characteristically works for things or people that humans reject the downcast, the afflicted, the troubled, the oppressed, and the rejected. Those who find themselves in such predicament can by faith rely on God, who in his sovereign plan will bless them. His blessing, however, cannot be gained by bargaining or striving. End of quote. And I would simply add, if you feel 
rejected. If you feel downcast, afflicted, then call on the Lord. Trust Him for His blessing because He particularly looks after those kinds of people. Let's pray.